And unless they have a really savvy business partner who lays this all out, what I've seen is that there isn't any layout ahead of time. It's like, great, we have this new doctor, we ha- we're really busy, we need to bring this person in. And everybody's all, it's this honeymoon period where everything's great, but no one bothered to spell anything out. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Now here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Today on the show, I have with me Holly Hutchison. She's from Tucson, Arizona. Tucson, not Tucson. She belongs to multiple professional associations in our field and originally started off from the research and scientific side with a degree in biology, with a master's in genetics, and uh, both from the University of Arizona, and had done clinical work for a while before persuading her brother, Dr. Scott Hutchison, who's an REI, to move back to Arizona and open up their practice, Reproductive Health Center, where, where they still both operate in Tucson today. Holly, I am thrilled to have you on Inside Reproductive Health. Ah, thanks, Griffin. I'm happy to be here. You're on the show because one of our earlier episodes, I was talking with a fellow and about what they want as they start to complete their training and if they join up with independent practice groups or larger practice groups or go into the university system. And then that led to to more conversations that I've, I've been having with so many people, but I want to have a conversation just about this. And I thought you were the person to do it because I know that you won't pull any punches. And it, it really started from, Holly, in the past six months, I can think of at least six examples that I know of younger doctors, by which I mean typically 40 or younger, mm-hmm. usually not right out of fellowship, but sometimes they are but they're an associate doctor at one practice. They've got one vision in place. The partners have another vision in place. And then after two or three years, two, three, four years of working there, they part ways and nothing ever happens. They don't become a partner. And why the heck is this happening? (laughs) Oh, the million dollar question. I think there's a lot of reasons and it just depends on, you know, who, who you're talking to and what the circumstances are. But I would say the number one things are that they're joining people who are established and have these kind of old school beliefs. They came out of fellowship in those first wave of fellowship people. They've started a business and the younger person comes in without understanding what it is the other person's wants for one thing, what the original doctor in the practice wants. There are no standards for key performance indicators. There is no mentoring. They're they're just kind of hung out to hung out on the line. And in some cases, like I know in particular cases that I've been around, the original physician has built like the Taj Mahal of reproductive medicine and brings in this younger partner then is going to be saddled with this very large debt and a huge building potentially. And no one ever talks about it ahead of time about what the expectation is going to be. And so at the end, it's all ends up being disappointment because no one had expectations are not met. 
those key performance indicators are huge because I think in many cases they're just not being spelled out because whatever's happening when I'm talking to these people, they're not getting what they wanted out of the practice. And the mm-hmm. practice clearly isn't getting what they wanted from the associate's end of the relationship. And I'm, as I'm talking with them, I'm thinking, what did you all agree to though? What were, what was spelled out? And so you mentioned that very often the key performance indicators aren't spelled out. Right. Well, I think first of all, let's go back to the fact that they're doctors and unless they have a really savvy business partner who lays this all out, what I've seen is that there isn't any layout ahead of time. It's like, great, we have this new doctor, we ha- we're really busy, we need to bring this person in, and everybody's all, it's this honeymoon period where everything's great, but no one bothered to spell anything out, because they're not business people, and they think they're all going to be like-minded, and it's all just going to be this kind of happy thing. I mean, that's what I've seen. I'm sure there are situations where there's really savvy business people that absolutely lay this out ahead of time and they bring in the, you know, the younger or the newer person in with very clear guidelines. But what I'm seeing when you get this, you know, disappointment and the expectations are not met, it's because no one ever laid out what the expectations were. So it's not, it's the business side of it is, is usually where they part ways. And to clarify, it's not like, practices all across the country are breaking up so it's not like partners walking away from each other all over the place but there is definitely this trend of the the incoming person has one thing in mind and and the person that owns the practice and partners that do have something else in mind and that's not super agreed to and the reason why i buy your hypothesis so much is because i see it all the time when we're working with clinics rac and fertility bridge work together and you remember how freaking strict we are in vetting (laughs) new clients and i'm so strict in the sales process we're strict in those first couple projects because we're constantly saying this is what the relationship is this is what the key performance indicators are Right. right Yeah, actually to a point, Griffin, where I was, there were times it's like, seriously, do we have to do this again? You're kind of annoying right now. Have expectations been met? I think in the first three conversations I had with you, you must have said that 30 times. You're not the first person that's told me that, (laughs) that has that criticism on me. And I, I know that I do it to the point of annoyance. Good. I'm glad because I would rather do it to the, because you know why? Because every fertility bridge client right now is super happy and we're having success with all of them. Exactly. And that to me is so much more worth it than just say, and just kind of like phoning it in and getting to the next point. And I'm not even talking about equity. You know, we're just a strategic partner. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. In the anybody's business. Right. We're doing this and I, because they think the same thing. This is annoying. Why do I have to think about all of this stuff? This is homework. And you're damn right it's homework. It's one of the three core functions of your business. And if we're talking about partnership, then we're talking about all of your business. So what are those key performance indicators that people really need to beat over the head to make sure that they're comfortable with moving well, forward Well, I think together? there's many. Um Actually, I sat down last night with Scott, my brother, the physician in the practice, and we 
talked about that. And it was a very interesting conversation. Um, our resident, we have a resident physician right now that we're training in our office in reproductive endocrinology as part of her OBGYN training. And she was in the beginning of the conversation, which was actually quite interesting because she has absolutely no understanding of business at all. And so coming into a model where, you know, if she were going, like, let's say she was out of fellowship training, she was coming into our practice, she has very little, she needs education on the business side of things. So I think outlining what the expectations for the business would be uh, is one whole aspect of it. So is there a building? Are you going to have to be part of the building? What, can you read a profit and loss statement? Do you know, do you have business banking relationships? Do you need those relationships? There should be criteria met for the business side of it. You need to understand how the business works, how the business flows. And that's going to be one thing that's going to be part of your mentoring and training. So that's one whole side of it. The other whole side of it is now you're coming into a practice where you've been under a number of other maybe experts in the field in your fellowship and you have yet to keep a patient happy, to make sure that you're um, empathetic and understanding that patient, to make sure that the patient gives you that feedback that you are good. And then moving into the whole technical part, can you do a retrieval? How good are you surgically? How good are you at ovulation induction protocols? How good are you at timing um, inseminations? all of those other things that are part of the makeup of reproductive endocrinology. And that's another, you know, can those hallmarks. If you took partner who somebody who was a great person and you really enjoyed them, but you get absolutely no pregnancies on any of their transfers, that's maybe that's a key performance indicator that has been lost. You can't continue in business if you can't do that. And I'm not saying that somebody would do that, but you understand kind of where that we do. You have to meet the business standards, but also the technical standards are are important as well. So it's a two party party system. Anecdotally, from my own just personal sample size, it seems to me that a lot of younger doctors do see the value in that clinical mentorship mm-hmm. that they know they they're coming out of three years of training but it would be really nice to have someone who's almost a private mentor to just go through the day-to-day of the clinic for a little while to improve in all of those areas clinically what where i think they don't see the value is from a lot of the business kpis mm-hmm. that you mentioned because i think they're seeing this as this is like this is like the old house that needs so much work and and then I'm going to get into this with this person and they're not going to let me make any changes during that time period and they're already 10 years 12 17 years behind on right no exactly so I have a couple of things to comment on that Number one, you're really, you're very right. And I think that that's kind of where the old school, I remember coming out of, you know, my graduate school and moving into a laboratory setting. And the very first thing that I, I knew that they were doing a bunch of stuff wrong. So I corrected it and I got in a whole bunch of trouble and it was really annoying and super, super irritating. And I ended up leaving 
after I had revamped everything that they were doing, I ended up leaving because I didn't feel appreciated and I felt like I'd been put down. So I can understand where somebody coming out of fellowship, they need to have that input. They are more recently trained. So there are newer things. And I, especially in the model of all the genetic testing, they have much more understanding than some of the old guard. And I'm using the old guard very loosely. So you, it's very important that, you know, the old guard feels like I built this practice, I suffered and I slaved. And now this youngster is just coming in and oh my God, they didn't even have to take as much call as I did. They're just not as well trained. And that's just, you know, that's nuts, number one. Um, We all know that that's not true. These people are coming out of this fellowship with much more training, I think, than the original old guard did who learned things kind of the hard way. So there is that. So that's something I think a fellow or somebody who's coming out who's looking to join a practice really needs to feel like the docs that they're joining or the practice that they're joining it is a two-way street and it is something where there's open dialogue and there isn't this resentment because they didn't take as much call or whatever, you know, whatever those things are. So that's one thing. Your other thing about buying the house, the $600,000 house that needs a lot of work. One of my side businesses, as you know, is renovating homes. And I look at that as you have an opportunity now versus going into a pre-done, like a corporate practice where you're just going to be an employee, okay? When you go into that $600,000 home that needs a lot of work, you get to make it be what you want. And you have an opportunity for it to be what you want, to have the quality of life that you want, to have the standard of living you want, to have the time off that you want. You get to create that. We're in a corporate structure. You're not going to have that much input, you're there to do a job for them. They're going to outline what your time off is, what your whatever. I mean, it may sometimes it's more flexible than others. But when you get to buy the old house, you get to change. You get to change the plumbing if you want to, and have a really nice Toto so toilet. I think that's where a lot of the disconnect is happening because that should be the benefit. Mm-hmm. It seems that a lot of these newer doctors are not seeing that. So they're, what they're seeing is, okay, I've got to buy the $600,000 house, but I don't get to change jack squat until this person retires. And who knows how long is that going to be for, is that going to be in three and a half years or is it going to be in 15 years? Well, I've years? seen cases and, where they don't ever retire. I'll take these and their younger partner with putting their, the, Right? Are they just going to be the Jacob Marley of yes, REI exactly. knocking on my exactly knocking on my doorstep with with their chains still haunting <laughs> how the practice is run? And I think that's what a lot of people are running into. So, okay, if that really is the case, if I'm opening up my own practice, mm-hmm. I should be able to do whatever the heck I want. In this case, I'm not opening my own practice. I'm presumably taking over someone else's over a period of time. But over that period of time, I think there is at least a perceived worst of both worlds where I've got the risk of being a partner or will have that risk, but I don't have the ability to affect the change. And not only do I not even have the authority, but sometimes it will be undermined. Exactly. Exactly. No. 
very critical point and something that needs to be discussed long before any ink has been put on any kind of documents, that there is a clear exit path for the soon-to-be-retiring or retiring doctor, that there's got to be kind of a mentoring standard set up. You want them there long enough that you don't get yourself in trouble, but you don't want them there eternally. And then the baton gets passed to, I mean, in my perfect world, we bring in somebody who's younger, exciting, you know, basically the bloom is not off the rose and they're excited to be part of it. We let them take over the reins of the entire operation, but you still got the safety net of somebody who's been through it and has weathered some storms to come help out. But there's a clear path of ascension for the younger person. And then it's going to be that the responsibility of that person to bring on somebody else to help them in similar, you know, kind of in a similar kind of way. So it's, it's a real challenge to allow somebody else to come into your practice, but also for them to be able to do what they need to do in their lives. I think it's important that everybody gets that kind of laid out on the table before they even come. How do those milestones get passed with the KPIs as in when this happens, then you get this control or when this happens, you get this much equity or this much bonus or how do you. Right. I mean, it can be, yeah, it can be set up basic. I mean, it can be set up any way that people want it. It depends on what the goals are of the individuals that are involved in it. You know, one of the things that we recognize is a lot of the fellows getting out of school may have a lot of debt. And at what point, you know, is that something they want to address first? Should we get you out of debt before you're starting into the ownership of the practice? But yet the the ascension to the head of the company is there. So we're going to let's let's look at helping you get out from under the debt. Let's make a, a plan for the business model of when you are going to take over. Do you want the building or do you want, you know, or not? Do you want the do you want to change equipment? I mean, there's so many factors in it that have to be sat down and discussed. But I think that they all need to be on the table prior to signing any papers that everybody has discussed and talked about it as opposed to, oh, you're a really great person. I really like you. I think it's going to work out just fine. No, let's get it all in writing. Let's get a complete plan of how how long it's going to take and when it's going to happen. The key performance indicators for the just medical side of it, I think, can be easily met by, you know, okay, watch you for a year, your statistics are, and when at the end of that time, you're free to just do embryo transfers on your own without even thinking about it. I mean, those are things that standpoint. On the other side of it, like where I would come from, I would want to know what is your debt, what is your, what kind of salary are you looking for, and here's what you're going to have to do to get that. Because you can't, I mean, let's face it, some of these guys come out and they're like, well, I can get paid, you know, at yeah, I'm, I'm not, you know, say, I'm just saying they can come out and maybe get $300,000 a year as a starting salary. And, but at the same time, 
they're going to be working a lot and they're going to be living in a very large city where if you are carrying a lot of debt, you're not going to own a house. Your kids aren't going to go to the best schools. I mean, there's going to be a long time before you may meet the, your life goals in, in a working situation like that. And they can let you go at any time because you don't own anything, right? So you move to a smaller market in a smaller place with a nice little center. And let's say you want to be there to get your kid on the bus every morning, which was the case of my brother. He got his kids on the bus every morning. He was there most afternoons to pick them up from the bus. If they were sick, they came to our office. We had a really nice lifestyle set up. That was our number one goal was lifestyle. So not being killed. Let's not- talk about the kids on yeah. the bus. Let's talk about the kids on the bus because I think this is actually where a lot of these relationships are breaking up because Doc's coming mm-hmm. in and uh, it's, it's not all the time, but we, with all the talk about gender in society, I think it is also it really involved in this conversation and where, you know, the, the principal physicians, you know, expect a certain volume right. and the incoming physician is like, but I want to spend time with my family. I want to see my kids. I want to, you know, maybe take some vacation or whatever yeah. it might be. I think the kids on the bus principle is a huge factor. In what's yeah. Happening. Well, this is why we went into our own practice, quite frankly. My brother was in Baltimore. His wife's an OBGYN. They were working at Johns Hopkins. He was division director of of REI at that point. Their life was, and Hopkins is an absolutely wonderful place, but their life was miserable. They had two little teeny kids. They lived in a crappy townhouse where, seriously, if you were there, they had to seal up the windows with, like, paper towels and aluminum foil in the winter because it was so cold and their life was horrible. And that was one of our big things was like, Hey, come back to sunny Arizona where you can, for the, what you're paying for this really crappy, as my mom called it, the hellish townhouse for what you're paying for your hellish townhouse. You can live in a really nice neighborhood where your kids can get on their bikes and the schools are super good. And then we, arranged our entire practice around the principle of being there for our kids in the morning and being home in the afternoon for doing homework. So it worked out really well for us. We didn't, we're not super wealthy, but we've done great. We've done fine. And we've had a really good quality of life along with kids who actually like us. I wasn't even planning on talking about this. I'm so glad you brought up lifestyle because it is as much of an importance to discuss during negotiations as salary and everything else, even mm-hmm. more so. I think so too. You know, we, this, for us, it's one of our company values. It's like, if it wouldn't be, if you're going to be a consultant at Bain and McKinsey no, exactly, and Wall Street right? and that's fine. But, yeah. I just talked with someone today who's, you know, we're, we're making a full-time offer to, and, you know, mentioning, uh, you know, talking about travel and for this particular person's, position there will be a lot of travel and or maybe and she says you know would this be like if you know if when i go on travel days would i be able to take off a half day or a day mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. either end mm-hmm. to spend with my family those conversations have to happen absolutely absolutely and that i mean that is the our our number one driving principle in our office is that 
is what is important in your life? And let's make sure that that gets taken care of first. Family and your, you know, your satisfaction with your job from day to day are the two top two things in, in our practice. And that's what something that's something that we would look for in a partner as well is somebody who knows that has a very clear understanding of what they want. Now, that could mean that somebody coming in says, hey, my wife's at home or my husband's at home and I'm going to just bust it here for 10 years. I'm going to do as many cycles as I can. I'm going to grow this practice as big as I can get it because I'm really I'm hounding for the money. That's 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 also viable, too. But if somebody coming in is coming from two family working income or two, you know, a couple that are both professionals and they really want to have a good standard of living, good quality of life, you can't really do that in the bigger practices, in the big corporate practices. It's harder. Not to say you can't, but it's harder to carve that out. I think this is true for every employee down to the receptionist, but more so for doctors because this is a really big price tag it's also really hard to recruit someone it takes a long time and if we're talking about partnership track we're we're talking about a real bet for the business so when these don't go Mm -hmm. well when someone that should have been on partnership track or expected to be on partnership track leaves after two or three years Mm -hmm. who loses out more in your opinion the practice or the or the leaving physician and well, I think unfortunately both lose out. They really, it, there's not a win-win for either of them. I mean, the person leaving has to go into direct competition with the person that they just were with for one thing. So now you get this, you know, it's almost like the third party in the president. Somebody loses, right? Like either the Republicans or the Democrats, that this third party takes votes away from them. So you don't always end up with a real equitable split there. The new person has to go out and rent a place. Just the business side of starting a business to go into competition is huge. The person who was left now may, you know, is now at a deficit because they were probably getting to a point where they were so busy or whatever, they needed the help, and now they don't have the help, and they've lost half the patient base. So the dividing is not conquering in that particular situation. So it's it's really rough, and I've seen it in some other markets where almost there's a number of them, and there's a there's some very good reasons why the younger person left. But it has not behooved, it hasn't benefited either of the of the parties. I was saying to John Stormont on an earlier episode that I think one of the reasons why private equity has had the success that it has in acquiring practices is because for some of the groups or, or practices not not the big ones that are clearly like really great investments, but some that you think, wow, yeah, somebody bought yeah. that is because for the the doctor who's selling, they don't have another option with there's that being able to yeah, find that's a very over. viable thing. And then there's also doctors who just like they they've had it. I'm just going to sell, get out of here. They're going to bring somebody else in, and they're going to take it over. And you know, our market demands it, or you know. And I think on the other side of it, too, 
the people coming out of fellowship, I didn't know anything about starting a business. I knew absolutely nothing. I just got lucky because I'm persistent and I won't take no for an answer a lot of times. But I think other physicians coming in, they don't know. They All they look at is, oh, my God, I talked to so-and-so at this last meeting and venture capital firm lent them $3 million to get started up. And I'm already bringing $170,000 worth of debt from medical school how in the world can you ever, you know, you're going to be chained to your desk or to the patients for the rest of your life to pay that back. And there's something to be said for that, but it doesn't have to be done that way. I just think that they don't, they're not trained in school ever of how to start a business. I think of the key performance indicators we were talking about that, that incoming docs need to see is at least training into the areas of improvement that the clinic needs to pursue to stay relevant for a millennial and Gen Z patient base. Yeah. And at a, at a very baseline level uh, for marketing, that might be active in social media as a means of connecting with patients. But it also means taking all of these processes and systems in our companies that that are still in paper or are really analog, mm-hmm. that there are software for almost all of them at least just one by one starting to adopt that to make things easier and going through this change so that the incoming doc can see I'm not going to, you know, it's, it's the $600,000 house right. and I can do whatever I want with it, but they're not leaving me with shattered windows, right. busted foundation exactly. that, no. that we're working on that together. And if you are the retiring physician in this position, I think of it as it's just your earnout. You know, you, oh, you look at you look at it the same way as if you sold it. it that's your earnout. These capital improvements as you're going out to make the to be fair to the person that's taking over. Right in the bill in the building industry, we call it leaving them with good bones. You got to have good bones, or you're not going to take. I mean, there's nothing there, right? And that's where I think also having a younger partner puts kind of breeds lifeblood back into the practice. And you, you know, you mentioned the social media part and a lot of the older doctors, they don't get it. I mean, like seriously, my brother still goes, Oh my God, somebody said they sent me an email. What do I do? It's like, Oh, but we can really use that influx of new information and new technology. It's one of the things I've used. Somebody who's comfortable platform because that's where, You've clearly proven that to me. So I think if you have good bones and you bring in new life, it's it's absolutely going to make that the structure so much better. Which is why I'm going to allow you to do a little bit of a plug for <laughs> what what you would offer to someone. And I wouldn't offer that to a lot of people. And the reason why I'll offer it to you, and it costs me nothing to say this, is that you and your brother Scott have been so much better than many who would be in similar positions on paper in not being committed to resistance. You know, I, oh, there's a real you. there's a real humility in your practice, and you can tell when you meet your team as well that it's 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 okay that we might be starting from here, and we're just gonna we're we're gonna change, we're gonna learn a little bit, and. Uh, and for that reason, I 
if if I were recommend if I were PCRS this year or MRS or ASRM and I was talking to a fellow and they thought yeah I, I want to be a small market or I want to be in the Southwest I would they have to talk to you in my opinion they at least have to have that conversation because I given that you are not nearly as guilty of resistance as so many people are that you're so open um, I, I think it's worth it and I want to do. I want to give you a minute to talk about like how you would envision that mod model going. If, if a new doctor is listening to this at some point in the future. Yeah. Well, okay. So our plug, um, we are, we're not resistant to change. We have been doing this for like 24, 25 years. I've actually, my brother and I have actually managed to work together for that long without, you know, really having major fights or anything. So that's been pretty cool. But for us, we're looking, I mean, we have been in this community and we really value the community that we're in. So we really want to bring somebody else in who has, would have that same kind of place, that same kind of value in being, we're not a huge market, but it's a really wonderful market. I mean, the sun shines most of the time. We have a beautiful little downtown. We've got a lot going for us. We're, you know, closely located to major airports and big cities and all the amenities that you really we have it we have a major university here um we are part of the university system ourselves and dr my brother trains other resident physicians in obgyn so there is we have this great kind of marriage between clinical practice that's on the outside and being able to have that relationship with the large university center so we have all that going for us. But more importantly, we're not looking to make a killing on this. We want what we establish to go forward. We have a beautiful building. Whether the partner wants to take that on or not would not matter. And we're really open to change. We want to bring somebody in who has some new ideas, who wants to do things in a different way. And we're, we would look forward to that because it would be exciting for us to watch them take this over and make it what they wanted it to be for themselves. They have the advantage of we learned a lot the hard way over time. And we are not highly leveraged. We don't have a lot. We have no debt with the exception of very small amount on our building. So we're looking for somebody who we can help them get the business to where they want it. And they have the advantage of having somebody who's really good at what he's doing mentor them next probably five to six years so you know if there's anybody out there listening to this and they want a really great quality of life and not be burdened and be able to leave the office and get on your bike and go bicycle anywhere go hike wherever you wanted to with your kids after you pick them up from school on the bus give us give us a call be happy to talk to you at the very least it's worth the conversation and worth mentioning that tucson is a cute little place it's not nice weather it's not cute it's come on griffin it's not cute you don't think so? I, I think, think it's, it's cute. very beautiful <laughs> you got that right the scenery is pretty unparalleled yeah, sunsets are great but just just the drive up to phoenix with the sunset yeah is worth i mean we're only an hour and a half and from phoenix and we have a really great airport you can get anywhere it's you know, we're our metropolitan area is over a million and a half people, so we're not that. I, 
I could probably have another episode that's just about quality of life, and I'm trying to give a TED Talk about something sort of similar because everybody knows, being from Buffalo, I'm really biased towards small market. But I say all the time, if you're a top 20% wage earner in a small market, you're freaking royalty. It is a good life. And Tucson just happens to have that plus the gorgeous scenery and weather around it. So, Holly, I'm going to let you conclude. Is there anything about key performance indicators for either partnership tracks or even salaried physicians, just when these relationships are forming that you would like to conclude with? I think going into it, just everybody put their cards on the table and really have some frank discussions about what's expected and what isn't, you know, what, what everybody wants and what they want out of it in the end. And I think as long as everybody's up front ahead of time and you pay attention Get, get an attorney involved if you really don't understand contracting. It needs to be drawn up so that it's as watertight as it can possibly be for people. But pay attention and really think about how, I think especially for people coming into it, new people out of fellowship, think about what you want out of your life. How do you want your life to be? And then look for that kind of practice. Look for that kind of opportunity along the way. So this kind this isn't for everybody, but I think that there's a lot of people who would find it very attractive. Amen. Holly Hutchinson, thank you so much thank for coming on Inside Reproductive. Thank you, Griffin. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you have a strong opinion about today's episode, we want to hear it. Agree, disagree, or have another point to add, please email podcast at fertilitybridge.com and tell us if you recommend a guest or a topic for a future episode. If you're ready to skyrocket your fertility practices growth and double your IVS cycles, schedule your fertility marketing discovery call by clicking the link in the show notes. And if you just want to learn more tactics to market your fertility center, download our free ebook, The Ultimate Guide to Fertility Marketing on fertilitybridge.com, also available in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast, and we look forward to talking more fertility shop on future episodes.